And welcome back, everyone, to the third episode of the Isles Archives podcast. I am Justin Weiss. And I'm Kenny Shear. And we have a lot to talk about today, as always nowadays, in this really long but really exciting free agency, this pivotal free agency in Islanders history. And Kenny, I don't think there's a better place to start off than what took place last week. We had not one, but two drafts in the same week, which was a pretty cool treat. Maybe not for the Islanders, who were without a first-round pick and who had to lose a player in the expansion, but, you know, lots of eyes on what the Islanders did. I guess we could start off with what happened on Wednesday night. Uh, The Islanders lost Jordan Everly to the Seattle Kraken. He was one of six players in attendance at the expansion draft, which was really interesting to see him in that jersey, actually repping their away jersey for the first time in franchise history. I guess initial reactions to that pick. I think it's something that you had forecasted twice on this show. But what, what did you think now that he's no longer New York Islander? Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to miss him. And it, would, it definitely hurt more seeing him there in person. In a way, it was also kind of reassuring. The fact that he was there means they weren't going down to the wire. And they had to tell him well in advance. So it's not like Josh Bailey was as much of a risk. You can all take a deep breath in and out. Josh Bailey is still a New York Islander. I have to say, like, I'm happy with this. If we lost Bailey, we would have lost the guy, and you mentioned this, who plays in all situations. You lose Everly, he plays the top line. He'll put up 55 points, but that's really it. And he has probably the best backhand on the team. So I'm going to be missing him coming out of the corners, curling in, trying to put it right in front of the goalie. Definitely going to miss that this year, but he's replaceable. I think that's a really good point. I think replaceable is the right word here. I mean, he's he's a good player to have. And on his in his four years on the island, he, he was very serviceable and he filled in a, a very big need on Matt Barzal's wing. There's no question about that. But at the end of the day, he is replaceable. And, and as we'll talk about soon, there are a lot of guys on the free agency market, Kyle Palmieri included, who may be able to take his role. You know, we'll be able to talk about guys like Mike Hoffman, even Vladimir Tarasenko. Bailey was, you know, the multidimensional player, uh, the guy who does a lot, who can slot in in different roles. And Everly is not that guy, even though he puts up those points and even though he has that lethal backhand. So, you know, I very much agree with you. If the Islanders had to part with anybody, do it with a guy who frees up five and a half million dollars in cap space that is pretty replaceable and you figure it out from there. That was that was Wednesday night. And then fast forward two days from then, we got Friday night. And the Islanders actually didn't pick on Friday night because they had traded away their first rounder as part of the Kyle Palmieri deal. Uh, it seems like the Islanders haven't had a first rounder in years and actually only been a few years since, you know, Simon Holmstrom uh, was picked. But, um, you, you sure know, Islander they got the budget? second rounder. I, I think their second rounder is possibly the most intriguing pick that any team made in the entire draft. To refresh your memory, with the 52nd pick, the Islanders picked Atu Rati, a uh, center from Finland. What do you make of that pick? Very, very intriguing. Well, first off, I'd like to congratulate him because that night he did score four goals for Finland. Uh, The fourth was an empty netter, so I just want to make note of that. But I really like the pick. You know, when you're picking at 52, you're trying to find value. You know, when you're picking late in the draft, you're trying to find guys that will go into your end that will people that will play in the NHL lineup at some point in their career. And I think that could be him. I think he could end up being a, a easily a second line center in this league. He's got a lot of skill. He's a center. So he's six, two at 185. He played really well about two years ago before the pandemic. And he was really putting up points um, for the under 18 team. 
for Finland uh, in Karpat is where he played. Karpat is actually the general manager is Sebastian Aho's father, which is an interesting note. But I really like the pick. And you can tell me what you think. I mean, what, what do you what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think for some context here and, and you know, we're talking about Rati. Um, this is a guy who two years ago and possibly even going into this draft year uh, was one of the projected top five picks in the draft. And in fact, some people had him as high as number one. And to be fair, this was a very unclear draft class. I don't think there was a clear number one, although Owen Power emerged as the top player in the draft. But, you know, this was a guy who was in the mix for a really long time. And, you know, like you said, uh, he played in U18 very well. Uh, He made Finland's U20 team uh, a year before the draft. And he he played pretty well with grown men uh, for quite a while. So you're probably asking, you know, how did this first round pick end up dropping all the way to the Islanders at 52? Well, his performance the last year plus really wasn't great. I mean, he had three goals and three assists last year. He played the second fewest minutes with his team in Finland. His numbers weren't great, but like you said, you're looking for a value pick in the second round and most second rounders don't hit. Most second rounders will never become high impact players. And so what the Islanders did is they took a gamble and they said, okay, this guy is potentially a top 10, top 15 talent. If he turns out to be that way, fine, perfect. If he doesn't turn out to be that way, you know what? He's a second round pick and second round picks a lot of times don't turn out to be great players. Well done to Lou Lamorello and the rest of his staff, especially without a first round pick. Getting a first round talent in the second round is potentially a boon for this team. Yeah, no, I I really like it. And something to mention, you know, this big drop off in points is really interesting because you don't see it often. You know, a lot of the time you see these guys jump up the board um, and really grow and really get a lot better. I mean, you see Sam Bennett. He had an outstanding draft year. His stock shot up sky high. I'll be honest, I was never a fan. I'm still not a huge Sam Bennett fan. He's an excellent player. Is he a third overall pick, fourth overall pick? No, I don't think he is. But he had a really good draft year. And it seems like Aturati had the opposite. And I think that there are a few different reasons you can kind of pick out. Some of the interesting ones are that maybe he de- he's developed early. You know, these are the ones that are more worrisome. Oh, he developed early and he's already hit his ceiling and now he's kind of just, he's just there and he's not going to get much better. I think that's a really negative approach. I think what's more likely is, and, and this is something that Aho, general manager, Sebastian Aho of the Carolina Hurricanes, not of the New York Islanders mentioned, is the pandemic happened and that affected a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And it's very hard to play with guys who are much older than you, who are in much different life situations than you and have done this for a lot longer and sustain that same level of play. You know, he, he's a young kid. He's only 18 years old now. And he was playing in a situation with people much older than him in a time unlike any other. So we'll see what happens this coming year, how he plays in the league. Hopefully his production improves and we'll also see that his confidence gets better. He grew a lot this year. He's a big guy. Like I said, he's 6'2". So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. And another interesting note, speaking of Ajo, so Sebastian Ajo of the Hurricanes, he also had a, actually a slight depression in his point totals. He played on the same team for his dad. And he also had a slight depression when he went to the under 20s from the under 18s. So I think, you know, we got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Although 
Atu had a much more drastic drop-off, there is some precedent for these guys. There's a little bit of a learning curve. And I think, to your point, I think you you make such a good point. You know, I was on Twitter the other day, which is a bad idea in general. Don't do it. But I was on Twitter the other day, and I was looking at this really interesting thread, and somebody was like, well, you know, you're trying to make excuses for him, right? Like, you're trying to say, well, you know, it was a pandemic season, and a lot of other guys had good pandemic seasons, so why is he an exception? But the point is... There is no rule here. It's a pandemic season. It's a really tough time for people. And not everybody's the same. You know, some people thrive in that sort of situation. Some people don't. That's not necessarily indicative of the type of pro success they will have, you know, if they develop into a good player or not. And, you know, I'm not I'm not here to sound the alarms. Is it understandable he dropped out of the first round? Yes. Does this mean that he's gonna going to or not going to turn into a valuable NHL player? I can't tell you. But give the guy a chance. I mean, he was he was in a really difficult situation. He reacted the way that he reacted. I'd also like to point out he he's he's in a notoriously low scoring league, which again, it's not to excuse his production. Other guys had good production before, but it was an adjustment for him. And so we'll see what happens in the future. We'll see where he goes from there. And you know, I mean, he wasn't the only one drafted by the Islanders. The Islanders actually drafted a goalie in the third round, one of Canada's. Uh, U-20 goalies, Tristan Lennox, they picked with number 93. Cameron Bird at center with number 125. They picked the left winger. And oh my goodness, these names are Brendan Burke. Good luck. Um, they picked a guy named E-2. So E-E-T-U, double E-T-U, as opposed to A-2, which is double A-T-U. So they picked E-2 Lucas, a left winger at number 157. Alexi Malinin, a defenseman at number 189. And Tomas Machu, a defenseman at number 221. Kenny, uh, of all the guys that I named, do any of those catch your eye? Anybody of note over there outside of our double E um, TU guy. I do like the fact that they picked a goalie. Um, I think it's just good, whether or not he becomes anything in the league or not, it's always good to have goalie prospects. You know, you see these guys coming in, like we, we can pray that this guy ends up being a backup for another team. Because if that happens, that means we probably got some kind of value for him in a trade, in a deal somewhere, somehow. It's good to see those kinds of things. Another thing I'll mention is I love where these players are coming from. I love the diversity. Me and you talked about in the beginning of the year how their entire lineup outside of Komarov and their goaltending was all from the U.S. and Canada. And you're seeing the past few years, really ever since Lemorello took over, that we're going a lot more international when it comes to our picks. Absolutely. And it will be interesting to see if that is a trend that continues in the future. Uh, it's also, you know, a question of, well, the Islanders don't have any first round picks and they haven't had in the last few years. What happens when they do? Does that change the way they draft at all? And I mean, that's that's only a hypothetical as of this moment. But I guess we will see, you know, hopefully next year, if the Islanders don't trade another pick, then, you know, we'll be able to see that come to fruition. So with that futuristic outlook in mind, we could turn our attention to free agency, which begins tomorrow. Tomorrow. We're actually... It begins tomorrow as of the time of this recording. Uh, I don't know when you will hear this podcast. So we're, we're talking on Monday night, uh, right before the start of free agency. Free agency is at a really weird time this year. Tuesday, July 27th. I can't believe we're saying that. That, that is, It just feels so wrong, Kenny. <laughs> I'm super excited. It is, it is always. It feels like a holiday. So anyway, 
the Islanders enter free agency with a projected $17.67 million in cap space. That is before they place Johnny Boychuk on the long-term injured reserve, which is what everybody believes they will do. They currently have a roster size of 18, 33 out of 50 contracts, 50 of 90 on the reserve list. And they, again, have about $17.67 million in projected cap space. They also have free agents, both unrestricted and restricted. We've spoken at length about these players, but to refresh your memory, we're talking about restricted free agents, primarily in Adam Pellick, Ilya Sorokin, and Anthony Beauvillier, and unrestricted free agents in Casey Sezikis and Kyle Palmieri. So I guess, Kenny, you can take a stab at this any way you would like, but best guesses for what happens tomorrow, best guesses for what we're going to see? Best guesses for what happens tomorrow and what we're going to see are two very different questions because I think a lot of the question that we're asking is how long will some of these take? Is Sezikis going to be talking to the rest of the market before he signs or will we know what happens with him before that 12 o'clock deadline comes around? Will be something to look out for? Kyle Palmieri, all indications from insiders around the league seem to be that he's going to be resigning and that talks are, and I quote, far along. For Lamorello, that says a lot. So I am confident that if the Islanders choose to do so, they will lock up Palmieri on a long-term deal. And by long-term, I mean somewhere in the range of four to five years, something to kind of keep the cap hit as low as possible. You know, you want to win now. We want to keep the cap hits low and we deal with the term once we have a cup. Like you said, I think this may be the type of thing where it's a long game. It may be a waiting game to see kind of where the chips land, because, you know, as you said, there are a lot of moving parts here. I mean, the Islanders have to bring back guys, but they also have to fill in big holes that they lost with Everly, that they lost with Luddy. They'll have to figure those out. I guess, again, you know, I've asked this question a couple of times, but, you know, now that we're just, we're on the eve of free agency, your best guesses for restricted free agents. Um, I know we've spoken in the past about how Anthony Beauvillier, if any of those three were to be moved, he seems to be the most likely. Do you still feel that? Do you think it's, it's, it's a possibility that we should really be considering? I really do. I can totally see it being either a side deal in addition to a big trade the Isles make, whether it be for a Vladimir Tarasenko or even, dare I say, Jack Eichel although I do not believe that will happen, it would require Anthony Bavillier to either get moved to that team or to another team as part of a deal just to make sure that we have room to actually have all these guys in the lineup because right now we don't. And I think that's the grim reality over here. The fact that if the Islanders are going to make a move for a big fish like Landis Gog, like Tarasenko, like Hoffman, like somebody, uh, they're probably going to have to move a contract. And sadly... Uh, that contract could very well turn out to be Anthony Beauvillier, especially in a trade. You know, he holds a lot of value. And we've spoken in the past about how teams like the Canadiens have reportedly inquired about Beauvillier. I'm sure other teams have too that haven't been reported. We know that Lou is notoriously tight-lipped about these things. But no, I mean, it, it's it's almost sad because, you know, he, he's been a great piece on this team he's one of their own a guy that they developed and a guy who was drafted in the same year as Matt Barzal a guy who really grew up together before the Islanders with Matt Barzal so that would be really sad to see I guess the other two Pellick and Sorokin we haven't spoken much about them because it seems pretty imminent that they will resign do you think there's any chance that the Islanders lose either of those two 
I don't think so. Sorokin's going to get locked up probably around the three million range, maybe three and a half at most. The question is how many years, you know, are we going to be giving him another two year deal or is he going to sign for four years? You know, maybe we lock him up until the Barlamov deals up. I could totally see that happening, but I'm not sure exactly how many years are left in the Barlamov deal. If I'm correct, I believe it is three. I can totally see them signing Sorokin to a cheaper deal for three years. Once he's the starter, he'll get his money. Just for clarification, Barlamov has two more years left on his term, but the, the point still stands. I guess we'll shift our attention a little bit to what we learned about an hour and a half ago, uh, which is that Michael Dalcole did not receive a qualifying offer today from the New York Islanders. So Anthony Beauvillier, Kiefer Bellows, Galyashev, Koivula, Pelik, and Sorokin all received qualifying offers. Dalcole, Timoshev, and Carpenter all did not. Judging from your face, Kenny, that might be the first time you're hearing it. <laughs> it is, I actually. Guess we, we are literally getting Kenny's initial reaction to this. Uh, Kenny, how do you feel? <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting. I can't believe, like, he was, he was like the fifth overall pick. I believe he was actually, you know, we're talking about the... Uh, about Sam Bennett earlier. I believe he was the pick after Sam Bennett. This is the 2014 draft, same year as Dreisaitl and Aaron Ekblad and Sam Reinhart, maybe. Right, so that was Ekblad 1, Reinhart 2, and then Dreisaitl 3, Bennett 4, like you said, Dalton 5, and Jake Vertanen 6. We're looking back, and also Jake Vertanen, another player who did not receive a qualifying offer. Interesting there. I, I really liked Bertan in that year. I did believe that Michael Dalcole was the correct pick for the Islanders. I was actually very happy they did not end up with Sam Bennett because I did not believe in him. Maybe now, obviously, I might be thinking otherwise, but maybe I just did not believe that Sam Bennett was going to be the player everyone thought he was, and clearly he is not. Absolutely, and I think what's so interesting to me is that, you know, we're talking about the 2014 draft. It wasn't just Dalcole that year. It was also... Um, Josh Hosang with the 28th pick and the Islanders remember traded up into the first round to draft him. Well, he most likely will not be returning to the team either next season, unless Lou brings him back for like the 20th time for no apparent reason, as he has all these previous times. But anyway, I mean, you're looking at both your first round picks from 2014, not being re-signed. And, you know, we, we spoke it, I guess, about the uh, restricted free agents. How about the unrestricted free agents? So again, we have four or actually five unrestricted free agents on this team right now. Uh, two that people really care about, but we have Kyle Palmieri, Travis Zajac, Casey Sizikas, Braden Coburn, and Corey Schneider. So obviously Schneider, Coburn, and probably to a large part Zajac are more afterthoughts. And you mentioned, you know, Palmieri um, being a guy that most people, I think, believe will come back to the Islanders. Uh, I think if he had more value going into the season, that value was largely lost. He did not have a great season with New Jersey. And, you know, he had a pretty decent playoffs with the Islanders, but probably not good enough to, you know, bring his price range back up that high. And Sezikis, you know, it just seemed like with all the moves the Islanders made uh, at the expansion draft when protecting Martin and Clutterbuck, but more than that, also with all the moves they made to clear up cap space, it seems like it's pretty imminent that they re-sign him. So, I guess we're kind of set on the Islanders UFAs, but I think that turns our attention to guys off the team and guys that Lou Lamorello may target who aren't on Long Island. You know, we've spoken about Landeskog, we've spoken about Tarasenko. Are there any other names that jump to the top of your mind that the Islanders may look to go after either by trade or by signing? Well, it seems like 
Alec Martinez is not going to be hitting free agency, or if anything, he will be re-signing with Vegas at some point today, tomorrow, in the next few days. It seems like they are the favorites. They're going to retain him. So now he's no longer an option to replace Luddy, which is slightly disappointing. There are other options, though. It was mentioned today, not confirmed by Arthur Staple or any of the other major insiders, that the Islanders are now a finalist for Ryan Suter, along with the Dallas Stars, which is very interesting. Apparently, he's looking for a four-year deal. In terms of cap, if I had to throw out a guess, I'd say somewhere in the $2.5 million range, um, especially if he's getting a four-year deal. Like I said, cap, cap hit low, term up is the way it's going to look for most of these players, especially when they're aging. I happen to really like that move. I know it's a long time, but if you sign Ryan Suter, he becomes your essentially number three to play with Mayfield this year. And that allows Dobson to remain in a a slightly less strenuous role and play with Andy Green for one more season. And then eventually, you know, we we can move Dobson up up to a higher line next year and take Suter down and um, give him a less strenuous position so that he can kind of, you know, age a little bit better. I don't think that can be stated enough for this season. The fact is that no matter who the Islanders bring in to become their third defenseman, the Islanders will likely have to put guys like Dobson and maybe even Samuel Bolduc, who would be a rookie, in bigger roles than maybe they would like. And so to sign a third defenseman who could still, even at age 36, play just a ton of minutes could really take a little bit of pressure off of guys like Dobson and whoever else they may bring up on that pipeline. And, you know, you spoke about Sebastian Ajo, the other Sebastian Ajo, but talking about the Islander Sebastian Ajo, maybe that's a guy that we'll see in the lineup. But a four-year deal is, it's a lot for a 36-year-old who is clearly on the decline. And, you know, I've got to say, I haven't seen much of him in Minnesota, so I can't really talk. From what I see on Twitter, some people still seem to like his game. And the fact that there are multiple suitors for him and the suitors seem to be, well, suitors, suitors, see what I did there? A little confusing. But um, the fact that all the suitors seem to be, you know, playoff teams tells me that this guy still has value and tells me that even at this late age, teams see something in him that, that you know, can really help a contender. And I think that's really what the Islanders are looking for. So four years would be a really long time, but something that you could potentially talk about. And at the end of the day, we're talking long-term here, but the Islanders are really going for it now. This is their window. And so you kind of throw all the money that you have to at the players that you need to win right now. And you kind of deal with the ramifications later. And I think that might be something to do with Suter. Uh, I guess we've spoken about Suter, and we've also spoken about his teammate or his ex-teammate in Minnesota, Zach Parisi. Uh, what have you heard on that front? Do you still think that it's imminent that he joins the Islanders? He's almost talked about so little because I think it is imminent that he's going to be on the Islanders. If I had to guess, he's going to make a total salary of $2 million, but it'll only be a 750 k cap hit for this coming year and the rest will come into bonuses similar to how it went with Andy Green this season it looks like the Islanders are at least major players for those two uh anybody else that you're hearing about that you think they may target I haven't heard anything specific but you can potentially see a connection with Mike Riley if they miss out on Suter Mike Riley is a really interesting name. He's only 28. He put up 27 points in 55 games last year. So he'll put up offense. So kind of a more similar role to Nick Letty. And he's a really good skater, which happens to work out pretty well for us. A good skater, a good passer, provide a little bit of offense, 
let Mayfield take the defensive load could be something interesting. Plus, if we have to take him on for a few extra years, like I said, he's only 28. He also has one of my favorite stat lines ever. In 55 games last year, he had 27 points, like you said. All 27 of those points came from assists. He did not have a single goal. Now, that is legendary. That was almost reminiscent of what Ryan Pollock did at the start of the season until he finally potted one at the end. Nick Letty as well. Don't forget, he had three goals and 29 assists, I believe. Right. So you're talking about an assists machine without much of a goal scoring touch. But you know what? The Islanders have some other guys with some pretty shots. We mentioned Pollock. If he hits the net, he doesn't score when he hits the net. Exactly. When he hits the net, when he doesn't hit the net, it's uh, you, you cover your face. But, um, you know, when he hits the net, he's as good as anybody else. So, you know, spoke about Riley. We spoke about Suter. We spoke about Parisi. Mike Hoffman is a name that I just saw. I know Arthur Staple just retweeted something about him. I know that's somebody that I feel like at every single trade deadline, we're like, Mike Hoffman, Mike Hoffman, come on, go after him. We've been saying <laughs> that that's since he's 28. Right. Do you think that's a possibility for them? It is a possibility. It depends on how many years. You talk a lot about these guys that we're going to be signing for a little bit longer, and he's one of those guys I don't want for longer. I really don't want him on this team for more than two years, any more than that, and I'd be pretty worried if we're going to have another okay, less than okay player in the lineup. He almost reminds me a little bit of Kyle Palmieri, kind of filling that same role, and a guy who, look, at the end of the day, he put up 36 points in 52 games, not his finest season, but not a horrible season either. And he did start off slow. I think he had a better end to the season. But he's also a guy who played one season in St. Louis. He played two seasons in Florida. A lot of these are shorter stops. Is this a guy you want to build around? Is this a guy who you necessarily want to put on your first line for a long time? That's a question that the Islanders have to really consider. He's the kind of guy I want to add in April. He's the guy I want to come in and bolster my lineup, kind of like what we did with Palmieri this year. You know, we wanted to bolster our offense, and we did that. If Anders Lee was in the lineup, we would have an outstanding offensive team. Maybe we don't put the the puck in the net as much as we'd like, but that's Isles hockey. At the end of the day, we have, and even without Lee, had some of the best steps in the league. It'll be interesting to see what happens if all our clamoring all of these years comes true. And to your point, it did seem like Palmieri was the type of guy who you bring in midseason to infuse some life. He wasn't having a great season. I don't know if his deal would have made sense signing him as a free agent, having never played for the Islanders before. Now that he's been there, he's developed a little bit of chemistry, especially with Sean Gabriel Pajot. It's more of a discussion to have, but yeah, I I agree. He just seems like the type of guy like Hoffman, who's a mid season acquisition to infuse some life into your lineup. I guess we'll go through a few other names. Vladimir Tarasenko is a guy who the Islanders would have to get in trade Uh, He is a guy who is owed a lot of money. He's a guy who is going to completely redefine your offense. He is a huge player. What do you think about that? I have to say one of my favorite plays is watching him go and deke out the Rangers defense and then go one-handed Forsberg style on Lundqvist. I think it was like a flip book. Some guy made a little post-it flip book notes. And I love looking at that, watching Lundqvist look silly. So he was in an Islander uniform. I can't say I'd complain. However, I am a little bit nervous about the injury. He did not put up great numbers this year. Right when he came back, he actually did play well. And it's after three games, he kind of disappeared a little bit, which makes you a bit nervous. It seems that a lot of these guys 
who are available in the market. You know, you're looking at Eichel and you're looking at Tarasenko. Both of them are injury concerns. You know, you talk about a trade with Eichel. You don't even know if he's going to play this year. The guy wants a surgery that's never been done on a National Hockey League player. So if you're trading for him, he will not be playing this season, most likely. And the same goes for Tarasenko. While he will be playing, we really don't know how healthy he is. The good news is he didn't make the playoffs. He got a lot of rest. He has time to kind of get his body back into the shape it needs to be for training camp. You want to assume that he is going to play well, but we'd also have to give up a lot for him. And not only that, we'd have to make room for him. Talking about that Beauvillier trade, he's owed $7.5 million this year. That's a lot of money, especially for a guy you're risking. I would say, if you're looking at what a trade might look like, you're going to have to retain at least $2 million. And if not, maybe $1 million and then take back a contract like Kamarov or Hickey. And, or Hickey. and this, that is not something St. Louis wants to be doing. That's not something any team wants to be doing. You know, talk about a defenseman being paid $2.5 million who's not doing anything for your lineup and potentially Ryan Suter in three years. We've basically been doing that with Tom Sicky, and this is going to be the third year of that. Right. And I mean, like you said, carries a seven and a half million dollar cap hit the next two seasons, which would instantly be the highest cap hit on the Islanders roster. And that's a, that's a big thing to be taking on. But you do have to weigh the benefit with the risk and the benefit is there. The benefit is that. In years past, he is a legitimate 35-40 goal scorer, and this is an offense that is desperately lacking that. I mean, Anders Lee in the past has been a top scorer, but he does it in a very different way. And uh, I don't know, you know, putting a guy like Tarasenko on Barzal's line could be just game-changing for Barzal and for the Islanders and uh, for the Islanders' hopes at, you know, winning the Stanley Cup. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. I guess before we wrap up, are there any other names – uh, you're you're looking at over here. At the moment, I don't think so. There are other defensemen available. You look at a guy like Zidane Chara, another one of these old players. If he takes, you take another one year deal with him. I do like that, just because we don't have to deal with him for a long time, and he's shown to be a responsible defenseman. Still, I'd be a bigger fan of having a guy come on for at least two years. This way, like we said, you bring a guy like Bolduke or Aho. This year, we have Dobson playing the third line. Next year, playing on the second pairing. And then having a guy like Bill Duke take that Dobson's role uh, is something I really, really want to see. I also don't think it could be stressed enough that you do not want to put yourself in the same situation next offseason where you have to go sign free agent after free agent. Like You would want to have your team as ready as it can be going into the offseason. And actually, I see you posted something in the chat that instantly – Brings a smile to my face because he's one of my favorite uh, Islanders ever. Travis Hamanick. Interesting. I, I have not. I don't even know where he is now. I feel like he's bounced around the league like a hundred times. He was with times. Vancouver. I think he was with Vancouver this past year. He signed okay, a contract so, after playing with the Flames since we traded him there. So Travis Hamanick, an Islanders fan favorite, a humanitarian, a, you know, an all around good guy. <laughs> and, you know, a formerly, I mean, an Islanders draft pick, second rounder, 53rd overall in 2008. He played his first seven seasons with New York before playing three in Calgary. And like you said, one in Vancouver, not a guy I had thought about. I know he's a guy who's battled injuries a lot. He battled injuries with the Islanders and battled injuries in Vancouver and Calgary. Interesting that you brought that up. Thoughts? I don't know if it makes the most sense, mostly because he's a right defenseman. 
and Isles are kind of looking for somebody on the left side. But if you're looking for a guy to fill in with depth, then maybe you want to put Aho in this year or Bilduke in this year. It could be interesting if you have a guy like Hamnick coming in and playing with one of those guys every once in a while. Well, on that positive Travis Hamnick-inspired note, this has been the Isles Archives podcast, episode three. As always, I'm Justin Weiss. And I'm Kenny Shear. And thank you for listening.